So Exodus chapter 3, and in particular, um, verse 7. The background to this story is that God speaks to Moses from a burning bush. And he has a bit more of a conversation with him. And these are some of the things that he says. So in verse 7, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. And it reads like this. The Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Verse 8, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up to that land, to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. I have, it says in verse 7, I have surely seen the oppression of my people. It goes on to say, I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Not only to deliver them, but then to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to take just a few moments to speak about three steps to revival. Three simple steps that we may know, a personal sense of restoration, renewal, or revival in our hearts. How a group or an organization, a church, and a group of people can know a sense of God stirring in our hearts. And there are moments in history, throughout church history, there's been a need for the revival of heart. You know, what's happened throughout history, if you look at church history, study church history, the church has started well on the book of Acts. It grew, it was on fire. People were sharing the message of the good news. They were telling others. They were spontaneous. They were alive. And, um, you know, after about a sort of 100 years or so, 150 years, the church settles down a little bit. And a group called the Montanists um, started up, they were a prophetic group, a group of prophets began to prophesy, and, and, and we see this is only after about 150 years after Jesus was uh, died, buried, and rose again, and the church is, settles down and stirred up. And you, throughout history, you see moments where the church seems to settle down, we get used to things, and there comes a point where then we get stirred up again. Um, in, I remember in the sort of the 1980s when I uh, first became a Christian, there was a real restoration of worship in the church. It was around about that time that a man called Jack Hayford, pastor of the church on the way, wrote a song called Majesty, Worship is Majesty, and to Jesus be glory, honor, and praise. A bit of a golden oldie now. We would sing it now out of the, what it would be the Mission Praise book or whatever it was. Some of you haven't got a clue what the Mission Praise chorus book is. You're looking at me as if to say you're from another planet. But... There was a restoration at that time in the 80s. Of, I was ushered in as a Christian in the early 80s on a real restoration of worship. There's nothing new under the sun. And there have been moments where the church is, you know, just the same way we see economically there are cycles when things go on a bit of a downturn in the economy. And then there's, they reckon there's going to be seven years of downturn. That's really made you feel good, I should think, by now. But they reckon most economists say there's, there's a cycle. They look at economies, and there's a seven-year downturn, and then there's a seven- to ten-year 
everything's great, turn. And, then, and so people say, we've got to avoid boom and bust, boom and bust. And you have different, uh, different um, politicians will come to power, and the economy will do really great. And then it starts to go down a bit, then they get voted out, a new group come in, and the economy bottoms out, and it begins to go back up again. And so just as in society and uh, in, in the economy, we see this ebb and flow, this ebb and flow, so too in the life, the spiritual life, and the life of individuals like you and me, Christians, and in, when we all, the sum of individuals come together, we call this the church when we're gathered together, there's this ebb and flow, there's this up and down, there's this uh, desire where we sort of settle down and then there comes a reviving of God's hand and heart where the church becomes alive again. And um, wakes up, as it were, and is re-stirred, awakened, revived. I suppose it's because with time we can become flippant and familiar, and we need to fan, be fanned in a flame. I think with time, as time goes by, we become familiar. We don't realise as Christians, Pentecostal and charismatic Christians, how familiar we've become with church and life, and how we can almost, this is the way that it is. And we don't realize that. And I, I think that with time, we, we sort of settle down, as it were. We don't realize that we can settle down. But God needs to come again and stir our hearts to take us to a place and a level whereby we've settled for something which we think is normal. But in God's kingdom, it's not his norm. It's the kingdom of God. So Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. And it's the kingdom values and kingdom attitude that is God's norm. And he has to come and stir the hearts and stir us up again, as it were, because we've settled down. In life, if you buy anything new, you soon get used to it. At first, you'll look after it, polish it, love it, do everything for it. And after a little while, you just get used to it. So too with the kingdom of God, we can really value God's love, value your Bible, reading it. When I first became a Christian, the pages of the Bible jump from the page. Everything spoke to me every day, every second. I valued, I was on the edge, just wanting, writing stuff down. And after a while, we begin to settle down a little bit. It's nothing bad in us, not necessarily, but it just happens. It's part of life. And so we become familiar, we can settle down. We can also take it a little bit for granted, almost. And so God comes to fan us, to set us aflame again, to stir our hearts so we're back on the edge, that the word of God jumps out the page to you again, that whereby you're writing it, whereby you're living it, whereby you're wanting to live and go for God again. And um, God stirs our hearts, just like the, the, the mother um, eagle will stir up the nest when the chicks settle and they, they've got the ability to fly. A chick has the ability to fly. It's born with the ability to fly. It has to grow its wings and its feathers and its muscles and give them a good old flap every now and again because it's born with the ability to fly. You have the ability to fly in God. But the mother then has to come and stir up the nest and say, to, well, not she can't speak to them, she doesn't say to them, but you know what I mean. She squawks at them and forces them, pushes them out of the nest, as it were. We don't like getting stirred as Christians. We don't like anyone pressing your buttons. You don't like it. You don't like, you don't, we say, well, don't you talk down to me. Don't you tell me what to do, God. Don't you put the finger of God on me. Don't you point. But God comes and stirs up the nest of our hearts, as it were. And the chick then starts to flap its wings, got the potential, got the ability, and then begins to soar and fly. And in church history, this is what the Holy Spirit does and comes to do in our hearts and in our lives. You know, we can become enslaved to habits, captured by circumstance. 
We'll look at this in a moment when we look at the Israelite nation, how they were in slavery at the time when God speaks to them. But we can, you and I can become enslaved by our habits. We have old habits die hard. There are things that we do. We have our own little foibles. We're not bad people. We wouldn't be here if that were the case. But there are things that can capture us, captivate us. We can become captured by circumstance. There are things that are happening around us that we might not have control of. There may be things that are going on that we think, I don't know what. And we can be captured by that circumstance. We feel powerless to do or move or do whatever in God. And the Israelite nation, when God spoke to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, were in slavery. They were captured. They were incarcerated. They were a slave nation, captured by circumstance and literally in slavery. And God sees that and he wants the church. So we could be flippant, familiar. We can settle down. We can have habits that hold on to our lives, that stop us fulfilling our potential and flying in God. There can be circumstances around us that seem to hem us in, whereby we, we are powerless and we can't fulfill. Churches don't fulfill their potential. You personally and I personally might not be fulfilling our potential because of circumstance that has got hold of us. And we can be entombed in religiosity. Charismatic speak. Charismatic religiosity. Pentecostals have Pentecostal religiosity. Just as there's a Baptist religiosity, there's an Anglican religiosity. And there's stuff that we can become entombed by. I think the other day, um, my Helen was um, looking at something by J. John. Uh, Richard quoted J. John this morning in our family service. And in this J. John book, it's a book on evangelism. And J. John, there's a little exercise you have to do. You have to speak to each other in a non-religious way and talk about the love of Jesus Christ in your life. And at first, you th- you, and, and it's, not, it's not that you're, you can't talk about, without theological terms, without being overly religious, as it were. And J. John is very keen about sharing your heart and sharing what God has done as it is. And, you know, we don't realize how religious we can become. And perhaps we can become entombed by religiosity. Now, the Israelites were held captive. I've just listed off a different list of things that, could affect us in different ways because there's a large group of us here tonight, different walks of life. And when we read this story, this account rather, we see that the Israelite nation were held captive. They were in slavery in Egypt. Probably about a million people. They reckon in the Exodus about a million people came out of Egypt. So there's a million people in enslaved, in slavery in Egypt. And this slavery was, uh, this captivity um, was holding them back from being the people of promise. They could fly. Just like those little eaglets, they got the potential to fly. What we see in this story is this. I want to talk about this. I want to just show you this because every single one of us has potential in God. You are amazing. I'm not just saying that to give you a pat on the back. God thinks you're amazing. He created you. Don't take that from me. The Bible says that about you. You are wonderful. You're his creation. God loves you. You are Great as far as God's concerned. And you have potential to fulfill in your life in loving God and following God. And the whole Israelite nation had a potential to fulfill a promise. God gave them a promise. You are people of promise. We're people of promise. Our church is a church of promise. You know, too many Christians knock their family, knock their church, knock each other. This is a place of promise. If only we can get hold of it. Now, the people here in this story were in captivity. And because of their captivity, because they were enslaved, it was holding them back from their promise. And you see in verse um, 8, it says that God says, I've heard, 
I've seen, I've heard, I've come down so that you might be brought out into a good land, a large land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That was their promise. God was saying that you are the people who are going to have freedom. You're going to have my promises that you'll have your own land and you'll be a prosperous nation. So God has promised for his people. But what was standing in the way was their captivity. They could fly, but they hadn't got out the nest because they were held captive. And as I said, we can become familiar, we can be flippant, we can settle down, we can be enslaved to habits, we can be captured by circumstance, we can be entombed in religiosity. It hinders us from flying in God. It hinders you and I from fulfilling our potential. It can hinder you and I from the promise that God has for you and for me and for us collectively as a church. It can hinder. And God saw this. And so he says to them, you know, you are people of promise, people of purpose. God is a God who wants us to live life to the full, full of potential. God wants people to live in freedom. I think one of the prayers before we came out um, all together, praying prior to the service together, was about prayer for freedom. And God is a God of freedom. He's the God of fulfillment. He's the God of promise. He's the God of potential. He's the God of, of releasing his people to fulfill their potential. We're created by him, but there are things that hold us captive. And so he specializes in freedom, in releasing us from captivity and loosed into promise so that we can come from captivity into promise And be free to live a life of God. And revival is living in promise. And there are three things that God says here. Let's look at these very quickly. The first thing, the first step to revival, they're so simple that they're overlooked. It's been made far too complicated. I'm going to just show you three simple, the most easy, basic things whereby we may know and fulfill and be people of promise. Our church could be that place of promise too. The first thing is this that God says. There are three things. He says, I have seen Your oppression. Number one, God sees. Nothing is hidden from the heart and eye of God. Whatever you say, quietly, out of the way, whatever's going on in our lives, whatever's going on in the the community, God sees all. God is all seeing. He sees everything. You know, you're not the only one. You know, sometimes in life we say, I'm the only one. It's only happening to me. No one knows. No one cares. We all feel like that at times, don't we? Sometimes you might do something in church life and you think, well, no one really knows what I'm doing. Or you might do something in the office and think, no one really cares. You might do something in your family. Or you might be hurting, you might be doing stuff, you might be hurting and think, well, no one really knows. No one really cares. I want to say to you tonight, God knows, God cares, and God sees. It's his business to see. He's not a nosy parker. He's not nosy, but it's the business of God to look and to see. He sees all because he cares all. God sees all and cares all. And nosy parkers, they just like to see everything. But God sees all because he cares all. And this is the key to the heart and the life of God. And what he sees here, he says, I see. I can see your oppression. God sees. God sees what you're going through. God is concerned. He's interested. He doesn't just look from a distance and say, oh, well, that's interesting. Oh, well, that's all going on. God sees and it buys into, because he says a bit further down, I've surely seen your oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. It says in the New King James, verse 7, to know means to actually experience. It's experiential knowledge. In other words, God sees and knows what you're going through. He feels for you. 
That's the key. God actually sees. And it's to, the danger is in our lives that sometimes we think, I'm the only one, no one cares, no one sees. If we could only get hold of this, you know, when in life things are going wrong, and they do go wrong, bad things happen to good people. I know this. You know, in church life, not everything goes away according to what I plan, or you plan, or hope, or we plan. In your work, it might not always go the way in which you hoped for. Things can go wrong in life. They're not always, but sometimes when they do. And as a Christian, we can think, what's happening? Who cares? But God cares. God sees and God knows. So the whole Israelite nation, they were under terrible oppression for a very long time. It wasn't just for a few weeks or a few months. It was years. They were crying out to God. But God says, I know. I see. I know. God feels. In other words, it means this. God not only sees what you're going through, but he feels what you're going through and feels for you. To know there is in the deepest sense of experiential knowledge. The first step. And so the first key for you and I, and sometimes we blow it, and sometimes we get upset about it, and sometimes we run away from it, and sometimes we bail out on a relationship, or we, we, we leave that place, or whatever it is, is to know this. God really does know. He really does see. He sees it without us bringing it to his attention, but it's even more powerful when we bring it to his attention as well. Be encouraged, God sees. The first step is to know that God sees. God cares and he knows and he feels for your circumstance right now. Second thing is that he says, I, I have seen their oppression, I've heard their cry. Second step is this, is, to, is, to, is the cry. The cry of the heart. God says, I have heard their cry. Under the oppression of the slavery that they were under, they would have cried out in pain. They would have called upon God. They would have cried out in their upset. They would have um, uh, cried in, in the pain that they were going through. And um, the second thing is this, is, to, is God does see all, and that's not fatalistic, but it's to also call upon God and let him know what's going on in your heart and life. That's the second thing, is to call upon God. You know, the place of prayer is the most powerful place that we can be in. The place of prayer, to call upon God. It's not with a big shopping list. But even the cry, God hears the cry of your heart. Even it, it doesn't have to be itemized, I need this God, I need to tell you about that. It's not even that. God just hears the cry of our hearts. He says, I've heard the cry. God hears. In Romans, in Romans uh, chapter 8, speaks about the person of the Holy Spirit who intercedes on our behalf and he cries out to the Father. There's a cry, there's a call. And there's something in the human heart where God wants to hear our heart even. You know, in life we get, you know, we live in an age that says, I've got to sort it out. I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I'm going to take destiny into my own hands. Of course we've got to do things in life, but the call upon God to act. I don't know if you've ever read a book by a guy called, Hud, well, The Life of Hudson Taylor, China Inland Mission. If you read the story of Hudson Taylor, as a young man, he felt the call of God upon his life. But he, he worked as a, his study, was a, his degree was in, uh, as a medical doctor, as a doctor. And um, he worked for a doctor. And in those days, you, you, there was no NHS. You paid for your medical treatment. Those that could afford to pay, not many could. But you've paid. And so this doctor that Hudson Taylor worked for was a very forgetful man. And always used to forget to pay him. You used to forget to pay Hudson Taylor. You're nodding your head, are you? <laughs> you used to forget to pay him. So if you read Hudson Taylor's biography, Hudson Taylor set out to say, he said, I'm going to move the hand of my employer with prayer. 
I'm not going to tell him what to do. I'm going to pray that God will do something. There's a story in Hudson Taylor's biography. that He said later on in life when he was in China, this helped him pray for the whole of China to be evangelized because he didn't have a penny. And every province in China eventually had an evangelist, a missionary in every province paid for because he prayed it all into being. But in his life, in his early days, he said, I prayed. And it was agony because when he had to pay his rent, he knew that he couldn't be in debt. As a, as a Christian, he thought, I should not be in debt. I've got to pay my rent. And he didn't have the money to pay his landlady. And very often you'd see at the last moment that his employer would remember, that, oh, I forgot to pay you, and would pay him his wages and he'd then pay his rent. The first thing he did was pay his rent. If you read the biography, it's an amazing, amazing story of faith. Agonizing faith. But he said that I learnt to pray. I learnt to cry. I learnt to call upon God. There was something really powerful. I always try and read about the great Christians of the past to try and um, stir up my soul. It's worth doing from time to time. Read something like that. And so the place of prayer. And so with Hudson Taylor, he said in later years of life, when I was founding the China Inland Mission and I didn't have a penny, he prayed and every province of China eventually got covered by a missionary who was supported in England and paid for. It's an amazing story of faith. He said, I learned to move the hand of God and be moved by the hand of God through calling upon him in prayer. We've become so self-sufficient in the age in which we now live. I've got to sort it out. I've got to tell them what I mean. I've got to put it right, which we do have to do these things, obviously. But there's the hand of God in our hearts, in our lives, in our circumstance, in our jobs, in our families, in our church even. The hand of God. And as we call upon him, he says, I've seen their oppression. I've heard their cry. The second step is he hears our cry. Call upon God in the place of prayer. Thirdly and finally, with this we close. He said, I've seen their oppression. God sees all and cares about you. He hears the cry. He hears the cry of our hearts. God hears the cry of your heart. He really does. And finally, this is the great news. So I have come down to deliver them. God turns up. God is the God who loves to be amongst us and actually turns up to be amongst us. We've been singing the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. The Holy Spirit now comes to live within our lives by faith. And also the Holy Spirit moves amongst us. It's amazing that um, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the God who became incarnate. At Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the, what we call the, the, the first uh, advent of Christ. There comes a second advent when he comes and returns again for the church. Don't talk about that one so much today. We'll be looking at that in, in maybe a few months' time, a, a series on that. But... Um, God is a God who loves to be amongst his people. Amongst, turns up, incarnate, rubs shoulders with, manifests himself. God is the God who is not far and distant, but wants to be in your life and amongst us. He actually rubs shoulders with us. It was amazing this morning that um, Annette read from the message, and it was about the embrace of Jesus. I forget how it went, Annette. You read, you read something from the message, and it was a wonderful verse from the message which spoke about how Jesus would put his arms around us in love. God is a God who loves to be amongst us, around us. I know when we were in India, Annette and I were in India a a year or so ago, nearly a year ago now, the message for the pastors uh, there, which was quite challenging and revolutionary, was when we just said that God turns up and he touches you and he reaches out to you and puts his arms around you. And as we were sharing that, we're just touching different people on the shoulder. And of course, in the lower caste, they're not touched that way. 
not by visiting speakers and all that business. It's like, it's a, it was amazing. Just, we take it for granted. They understood this, that God wants to be amongst us. And he sees, he hears, but he turns up, he does something about it. God will turn up in your circumstance. God will turn up in our church. God will turn up in our, your marriage. God will turn up at work. God will turn up in your heart right now. Whatever is capturing us. God will turn up and deal with, help you deal with a habit. God will turn up and deal with attitudes that, that, and habits that die hard. God will turn up. He's by the power and person of the Holy Spirit. He says, I've seen your oppression. I've heard your cry. So I have come to deliver you. I've come down. I'm amongst you. God, God is the God who is manifest. The God who wants to be amongst us, with us, around us. Why? So he says that you may be taken out into a large land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, you can fulfill your potential. That you will be at that place where you will flow. Church, where you'll be at that place where the church will flow and be in that extended place of doing what God wants to do. There's no limit to what God wants you to do. What he can do in your life, what you can be in God. There's a place of promise for you and a place of potential for us. But there are these things that can hold us back. And so he wants us to stir up our hearts. And God sees, hears and comes amongst us so that we can be free to be the people that he wants us to be. Let's pray together. Now God sees us and he wants to hear our heart cry so that he may respond and be amongst and in the midst of us. That's all he wants to hear. Oh, Father God, we love you. We thank you. You're amazing God. You're the living God. You're the God who sees my circumstance. But you don't just look at it from a distance. You want to turn up right in the midst of what I experience right now. I thank you so much by the person of the Holy Spirit you've come to live within. My life and my heart. But not only live within me, you want to be amongst us and around us. You make the difference, Lord. And for that, I'm just so thankful. Now, Father, would you just touch our hearts? Would you come and stir? Pray, O God, that you will stir my heart. If I've become familiar I just want to pray tonight if you've become familiar and only you will know become settled you're not on fire as you were when you first knew him there's a stirring that comes within our hearts oh pray right now oh God stir again if you're on the outside then I want to be right at the center of your will oh God is there habits are there things that hold us back Are there habits that hold us right now? Moving on from being familiar and settled. Perhaps you've settled down, got cold. Then are there habits that hold us right now? Is there anything here tonight? Any habits that hold you back? Is there a circumstance? Is there something that's upsetting you? Something beyond your control? Circumstance. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you come and just stir up our hearts? You know, perhaps you're here tonight and you have not asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your life. And I'm going to give you an opportunity. Perhaps you're here tonight, you've been singing the songs, you've been coming to our church here, or going to a church, you may have even read a bit of the Bible, but you haven't come to that point in your life where you said, Lord Jesus, forgive me for living for me. I've been in charge of my life. I want to live for you. Will you come and live within my life so that I might live for you, to follow you? 
You know, maybe you're here tonight and you've not asked the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, given your heart to him. Then if that's you right now, won't prolong it, but if that's you, will you, you might want to ask him right now, would you come and live within my heart and life? I don't want to just live for me. I want to live for you, God. I'm just going to give you an opportunity right now to say, Lord Jesus, would you come and live within me? Forgive me for living for myself. I've been in charge of my life. Would you come and live in my life so that I might live for you? I'm sorry for living as if I'm in charge. I repent. Say so To say I'm sorry means I repent. Would you now come and be my master? Now, Heavenly Father, we would express that we... I am sorry, I repent for living as if I'm in charge. And I say, would you come and be my master? Would you come and be our master? If you prayed that prayer, then come and see me. I'd love to speak to you. I've got some literature I'd love to give you. If you prayed that prayer of asking Jesus to be your master, you're sorry for living for yourself, then come and talk to me. would really, really love to pray with you. And speak to you. We're going to come to, we're drawing to a close, and we want to say to you please feel free. Infusion Coffee House is open across the way. It's an opportunity to relax together, to fellowship together. It's an important opportunity to do so. But we're also going to give an opportunity for prayer at the front here. And if you would like, if you would like God to just release you, if there are habits that die hard, you don't have to say what they are, no one's going to put you on the spot. But if you feel that there are habits that you want to break, if there are attitudes that you want to break, you, you want to stir. If you feel that you've grown cold as a believer and you just want to restore that place with, with the heart of God, then we would love to pray tonight. God sees, he hears, and he wants to come down. He wants to stir up your heart. And so if you're feeling that as a Christian, you know, circumstances battered you perhaps, maybe you feel a bit beaten up as a Christian, then we just want to pray the power of the Holy Spirit upon your life because circumstances encroached you. Maybe you feel that you've grown a bit cold as a Christian. We just want to pray, non-judgmental, just the Holy Spirit encourage you and stir your heart again. Maybe you want to pray because you feel that there are habits that are holding on to life. We just want to pray the Holy Spirit stir and release you to a spacious place of promise in your life. You may just want to know, you know, you'll be going off to uni or whatever it is sooner, you just want to be that person of promise and purpose in God. Then we want to just pray that the Holy Spirit just come upon you where you be a, a woman and man, a young man, young woman of destiny and purpose in God as well. So if you'd like to come and we'd love to pray with you the prayer team would love to pray and we would love to pray and some of the elders will come and pray with you god bless you folks if you would like us to pray then just come forward and we'll either sit in the front or stand in the front and we'll pray with you but you're welcome to go to infusion as well god bless you folks